you have your Bibles, and I pray you do, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 this morning. It is my Father's world. What a wonderful, beautiful song. And though, as we were singing that, though sometimes I, th- I think just as we were just singing that we believe that maybe God is not moving, He is not doing things, we forget because we have forgotten this is not his this is his world he is doing and so our passage this morning will very much show us that that the hand of God is very much present and very much moving you'll take your Bibles Luke chapter 1 verse 57 through 66 as we look at the birth of John the Baptist this morning let's begin reading says, now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth. She gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. So it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered and said, no, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and he wrote as follows, his name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in the praise of God. And fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord is certainly upon him. And then skip down to verse 80. There we read, it says, And the child continued to grow, to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance of Israel. May God bless the reading and the preaching of His Word this morning. This morning as we continue in this journey through the Gospel of Luke, we now come to the fulfillment of where all this began. There in the very beginning of this chapter, you may have noticed this is a very long chapter, we've been walking through this. The angel appeared to Zechariah and told him he would have a son. And so his, and his name would be John and he would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And then we saw that the angel then would go to Mary and say that she would have a son as a virgin and his name would be called Jesus and he would be the Messiah. And so we saw, we saw over the last couple of weeks how these two narratives have come together. But now our focus has kind of come back to this birth of John the Baptist. And I want you to take notice of the last two verses there, verse uh, 65 and 66. I want to draw your attention to the end of this text rather than to begin at the beginning. Because I think you'll find something rather interesting here. Notice that Luke writes to us. He says that the fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly on him. Now, you may notice that we get very little about the birth of John. Matter of fact, verse 57 and 58 tell us, they give us that John was born. Kind of matter of fact, 
in a way, you know, he's just there. And then we go to the circumcision of John and the naming of John. We get very little details concerning John, and we actually get more details from Luke concerning the reaction to John's birth. And so uh, just this past week, we saw, as I mentioned earlier, we're praying for Blake and Marshall as they have had their baby, beautiful baby boy. If I'm right, it was a beautiful baby boy. We saw the, saw the picture this week. Matter of fact, I saw several pictures of babies on Facebook, social media, you know, and we look at them and we're just in awe of them. But here we find that Luke actually gives us more details concerning those who heard. Notice what he tells us. He tells us that the fear and awe came upon the neighbors. This supernatural birth of John, because remember Elizabeth had went into kind of, you know, seclusion for six months. And so all of a sudden she comes out and they're like, oh my goodness, you, you who, are, who are an elderly woman who has been barren all these years. This is a supernatural birth. The thing concerning was Zechariah. Fear and awe consume the neighbors. It becomes the talk of town. The phrase, they kept them in mind. It's the same that we will read later in chapter 2 where we read that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. This means that, that these supernatural events have made a deep impression upon the mind and the heart of the people who have witnessed and who have heard of the birth of John. And they are pondering the meaning. What is going on here? And many were wondering and they were asking, what will this child turn out to be? What, is, what, is he go- what great things is he going to accomplish in his life? Luke's details of John's birth point past the baby. We don't get his looks. We don't get his eye color. We don't really get very much at all. They point past Elizabeth. They point past Zechariah. And they point us to the reaction of the people all wondering what's going on which really points us to what this text is about for the hand of the lord was certainly upon him the hand of god was on john the baptist brothers and sisters when we read that phrase the hand of god this is referring not to a literal hand but an expression of God's direct control, God's direct power, God's direct sovereignty over the life or or in the midst of something. In this case, in the birth of John and on the life of John himself. And we have seen the sovereignty of God from beginning to end in this chapter concerning the conception and the and you know the uh, not only of John but also of Jesus Christ and all that is going on and now his birth. We understand that this is now less about Elizabeth and less about Zechariah and John. And this is really more about God. This is about what Luke had referred to the very beginning of his prologue. If you remember, he says, I am writing here that you may know the exact truth about the things that were accomplished among us. The things that have happened with Christ. The things according of his life, his death, his resurrection. He, after 400 years of silence from God, people are now waking up to the fact that God is moving amongst them. And so Luke is sharing that with us. If you think of it this way, beloved, John is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. His job is to prepare the way for Christ. His job is to point people to Christ and eventually even, even further to point them to God that they may turn their lives to him and as all eyes are on the birth of john this morning we see three things 
that John is, is in fact pointing people to God even in his birth. And three things that I want you to see that John is revealing to us this morning is a revelation of God and who he is. This morning you will see God's faithfulness, you will see God's mercy, and you will see God's grace. Here in the birth of John, you will see the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God. And so let's begin this morning with the faithfulness. Notice verse 57. It says, now the time had come for Elizabeth to to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Any woman knows the feeling that comes with that phrase, now the time had come. It is a wonderful time, it is an amazing time for a mother who has carried the child and for that day to come where they will be overwhelmed with the joy of the first cry of their child, the holding of their child, the day the child moves from the womb into the world. Not only that, there's also the relief of being done with pregnancy. Praise God for that. It only lasts for a time. We're done with that. There's that wonderful moment where the pregnancy is now behind us. It is a joyful time. Yet there is more meaning to this phrase than the fact that that Luke is writing and he is saying to us that that the time of John's birth is here. He, he, he's drawing our minds back to the, where we began back in, back in verse 13 where Gabriel appears in the temple before Zechariah and he tells Zechariah that he will have a son. I, I know that you and Elizabeth are barren. I know that you're, that you're up in age. I, I know that you've prayed about a child. But I, I'm here to tell you that God is going to give you a child. God is promising that you will hold a son in your arms. We know that time has now come. This is the fulfillment of God's promise to them. God is faithful to do exactly as He has said. But there is more to this than just the fact that God is faithful just to them. If you'll notice with me this morning, we need to look at the, what brackets this text. And so if you'll just look back with me, just back to verse 54 and 55, we see the song of Mary. And if you remember this from her song, she says, He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And then now if you'll look ahead to the song of Zechariah, look at verses 69. He says, And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember, notice this, his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father. You see, in Mary's song and in Zechariah's song, which we'll look at next week, both of them were singing and saying, Oh God, we give you praise because you made a promise long ago. God, you made a covenant with our father Abraham long ago that you would not only give us a land and give us a people, but you would give us a son. God, you remembered your covenant 
that you that we were your people and that you would always take care of your people the birth of John is part of God's faithfulness to keep the covenant that he made to Abraham but not only the covenant to Abraham but also the covenant that he made with David that this that this individual who would come this redeemer this messiah would also be a king and that his reign and his rule would last for all eternity But brothers and sisters, we could go even further back than that. We can go all the way back to Adam, our first father. In the garden there in Genesis 3.15, when God is laying down the judgment on the serpent, he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. There in the garden, right after the sin of Adam, God made a promise that he would bring a Savior, a Redeemer into the world. Is John that Savior? No, he's not. But John is the forerunner of the Savior. John is part of the puzzle. John is part of the fulfillment. In just six months, Christ is going to enter onto the scene. John is the precursor to the promised seed that would come and redeem God's people. And in six months, when Christ does enter into the scene, when the Messiah is birthed into this world, he will begin the work of redemption by providing the sacrifice that brings forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all believers. He will begin to bring a fulfillment to the covenant that God promised to Adam, that God promised to Moses, that God promised to to Abraham and to David. And he is going to bring forth a new covenant that God is telling us that if we who would repent of our sins and believe upon him, that through the death of Christ, we can enter into a covenant relationship with him. And we can know that God will be our God and we will be His people. Why? Because God is faithful to do what He promises. Dear friends, as we read the miraculous birth of John, we are reminded that God is faithful. He fulfills everything He says. And Epicy, I don't know about you, but maybe, just maybe, as we sing of the greatness of our God, as we sing that this is our Father's world, that as we read about here this morning the faithfulness of God, that just maybe that we should be like those people who heard of John's supernatural birth. Maybe we should be like those neighbors in the Judean hillside who, who were overwhelmed with joy, that they joined Elizabeth and rejoiced with her in the birth of their son. Maybe we should be a people filled with joy this morning because of the faithfulness of the God that we, that we know. But I'm afraid that too many times that you and I watch way too much news. We read too many newspapers and we watch and we get on Facebook and social media too much. And so instead of joy, we see all the problems that are going on in this world, right? We, we, we read about the war. We see what's happening in the White House and in, the, you know, in politics and government. And then we, we look and we see what happens around in our own communities. And we're just consumed. We see all of the things in this world that are wrong and is sinful and is wicked. And then we begin to become a people who begin to, 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 to really begin to worry and mourn over what is taking place in this world. And we forget that God has made a promise to you and I. 
that God has promised that this world is not our home. That God has promised that He will bring us out of this world. That though we are, that for those who are believers in Him, we may be in the world, but we are not of the world. And that He is with us in this world. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end. The faithfulness of God should overwhelm you with joy, but I believe too many of us have forgotten this. That we wake up in the morning and we're, and we're worried, is God even going to be with me this morning? But, but we need to come back to the Word of God and read that our God is with us and does all that He says. Some of you need that joy this morning. I'm here to tell you that you need to find it in the remembrance of God's faithfulness. But I would even go further than that this morning and tell you that others of you need to be like the rest of the people and you need to fear now, maybe of us, some of us need to be consumed with even fear a little bit because we know God is faithful. You say, well, what do you mean by this, Brother Brown? Well, God has also told us that every man and every woman will be judged according to their sins. We will be judged according to our deeds. And I think too many times we're like Second Peter 3, verses 1 through 11, where there are those who say, well, the world has always been. God's, God's not going to judge. He's not coming back. The world will always remain. But brothers and sisters, we are told that there is a time of judgment that is to come. You see, if we're on the one hand going to hold on to the promises of God that we are His people and that He is with us and He is going to bring us out of this world, we must also hold on to the promise that He is also going to come back one day and judge the world. And He is going to judge those who are living in sin Dear friends, the faithfulness of God should grip our hearts with fear that if we are living in sin, we need to do something about it. And not only us, but even our country as well. Examine yourself today. Repent. Pray for your country. Pray pray for your neighbors. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family, brothers and sisters. God is faithful. He will come back. And we must repent and not live in sin. But we can even go even further here. Notice next that we see the mercy of God. Notice verse 58. It says, Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her. The Greek term there being the word elios, meaning kindness or the goodwill toward the miserable and afflicted. It is a desire to help those who are, who are experiencing great difficulty, experiencing misery. The Old Testament refers to it as the loving kindness of God. His compassion on those who are suffering. And here you have Elizabeth and Zechariah who were miserable, who had suffered. They had, they, they had, no, they had lost the joy of a child. They, they wanted that joy. They wanted to experience that. And they went through their entire life not having it. And not only that, they saw it as a curse upon them, on themselves that they could not have children when we come and we see people who struggle in fertility and not able to have children, we know that this is a struggle, that this is hard. It is a misery. But here we find that God's kindness falls upon them. And in their latter days, He brings them joy. And one can imagine that like Sarah, Abraham's wife, that they too laughed now, where once they had wept. But this is not the only display of of mercy that we see you if you continue to read notice that we see here in verse 62 
And they made signs to the father, to Zechariah, as to what he would be called. And he asked for a tablet and he wrote as follows, his name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was open, his tongue loose, and he began to speak in the praises of God. The praise of God. We, we see also that God not only brings joy to them in bringing a child, but God also removes the misery that Zechariah is experiencing because of his sin. Remember, he doubted the words of Gabriel. He asked Gabriel to give him a sign, not, not for understanding, but for proof. He doubted God. And for this, he was made deaf and mute. Notice that they had to make signs to him in order for him to know what they were saying. So he's not only just mute. He's not only able, unable to talk. He, he can't hear. And so they're having to write. They're having to make signs and ask him what the child's name is going to be. So, so, it's, so, so here he is experiencing the judgment of God of losing his hearing and also losing his voice. Yet in the mercy of God... His misery is removed. His judgment is reversed. His act of faith, when he says his name is John, is met with a reversal. He goes from misery, goes from punishment to joy and reward. William Barclay says it this way. He says, in Christian thought, Elias means mercy for the man who is in trouble, even if the trouble is his own fault did you hear that even if the trouble is his own fault he brings the trouble on himself and so at the birth of the messiah's forerunner we are given two displays of of god's mercy and what's interesting about this word elias is is that that in all of its uses in the new in the new testament 20 percent of them are found in luke chapter 1 Verse 50, verse 54, verse 58. And then as we'll see next week in Zechariah's song, verse 72 and verse 78. Brothers, this is, this, is the, this is only the beginning. John is only the forerunner. This is only pointing to a greater display of mercy that we're going to see throughout the Gospel of Luke. That, that, that there's a greater mercy that is going to be shown to all of us when Christ comes on to the scene, when He enters in. For He will show us the mercy of God and that He will pour out that mercy on many. He will pour it out on the blind. He will pour it out on the lame. He will pour it out on those who are deaf and those who are mute. He will pour it out on the poor. He will pour it out on the tax collector. He will pour it out on the demon-possessed. He will pour it out on the thief and the liar and the adulterer. He will pour it out on the Gentiles and even on the Romans. And beloved, He will even show mercy to those who are physically dead. You will see greater displays of mercy in the chapters to come. The mercy that we find in the birth of John the Baptist is only a foretaste, a forerunning of what we will find in Christ. Beloved, when we see the hand of God upon the life of John the Baptist, he is reminding us that the God of heaven is a merciful God to those who are miserable. And some of you should rejoice in this because you're miserable, aren't you? Some of you are struggling with whether it be you have problems within your families or with your children or, or, or health problems or, or you're struggling with problems that you see within the world. The, the things that are going on outside of us are affecting you. 
Well, this morning you need to be reminded that we have a God that when the hand of God is upon you, brothers and sisters, it can be the hand of mercy that reverses that mercy. Maybe it is a sickness that has taken your joy this morning. Maybe you feel miserable because of your sickness. Go to Christ. Pray that He would heal you. We, we know that our God is a God who can heal, and so we pray that God would heal. And maybe in His mercy, He may heal you. If so, we, give, we just rejoice in that. And maybe He doesn't. Maybe He doesn't heal you of the physical sickness that you are dealing with, but in the midst of your sickness, God brings you a joy that surpasses all understanding. That's a miracle in and of itself. Brothers. That, that's mercy in and of itself. God gives you joy in the midst of your sickness. And so this morning, there may be some of you here who are, who are dealing with some issues, whether it may be cancer or whatever it may be. You, you are struggling in these things. Go to our Lord and pray and seek the mercy of God that He may reverse and give you strength and patience and joy. Maybe some of you are Maybe some of you are like Elizabeth and Zechariah. Not only were they barren, brothers and sisters, but we know that the elderly, that as we begin to grow old, things don't always work the way they should. The mornings are a lot harder and you don't have the energy to go through your day. And we know that we are a people who pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We are a people who are always busy and always doing, but as we grow older, we begin to realize we can't do what we've always done. And that brings about a misery. A misery in our life. And yet we find that God reverses the misery in His mercy and He brings joy. Or maybe there's some of you in here this morning that you're kind of like Zachariah. The misery that you are experiencing is misery that you deserve. You've sinned against God, and what you are, the misery that you are experiencing is the misery that came from your sin. Your family has busted up. Maybe your children, maybe there's an issue with the children, or maybe you lose your job. Whatever the case may be, you have done something that has brought great guilt and great shame, and it's caused great horrifying consequences in your life and it is your own doing it is your own sin and you think and you wonder and you go to bed at night and you may even believe that there is no way i can ever have this reversed and feel the joy of my salvation again brothers and sisters we find here with zachariah that that is a lie straight from the pit of hell that our god even if we deserve our misery for our sin, that we have a God who is so merciful that He can not only forgive us of our sins, as we'll see in just a moment, but He can remove the burden and the con- He can remove the pain that comes from our sin. And so there are those of you this morning who need to come and you need to repent of your sin. And you need to cry out to Christ. And you need to begin living a faithful life like, like John, like Zechariah did here. Zechariah, who doubted, but then, then in faith, he says, how when we were, his name is John, that you may know the joy that comes, that you may know the mercy 
and joy that comes from our Savior. But I would also add this, brothers and sisters. FBC, you need to know this, is that you and I are also the display of God's mercy. God displays His mercy through us. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, 6 and 37, we see Jesus says, that He looks out on the crowd uh, over the 5,000 and He sees them and they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're hungry and He turns to His disciples. He says, we need to feed them. You go and feed them. He says, you feed them. Brothers and sisters, there are those within our church and there are those within our community who need to see, who need to witness the great display of God's mercy. They need, to, they need to be a part of the rejoicing that comes with the mercy of God. And God displays that through the church. God displays that when, when there's an elder, when someone who is struggling with, the, you know, with, with growing older and, the, and those who are younger begin to love on them, begin to help them with some of, their, with some of those things around the house or begin to encourage them. Or, or maybe there are those who, who, are, who are struggling in, in family issues and we come along and we begin to help them find wise choices. Maybe there's someone who's struggling with forgiving themselves. And living in their forgiveness. And we come along and we begin helping. Maybe there's someone who's struggling with putting food on the table. And we buy groceries. Or maybe there's a young person who needs help. That they may have a, a, you know, help in, in finding a career. And being trained in a profession. Maybe there's a marriage that is in need of help. Or someone who's in need of overcoming sin. Whatever the case may be, brothers and sisters. God wants to display mercy. And He does it through the church. Sometimes the hand of God that is displayed is through the hands of God's people. And that is you and I. Go and be a people who show mercy to one another. But even thirdly, we see that God is a God of grace. Notice here we see in verse 59. And it's what happened on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered and he said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and he wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. Now what you're witnessing here, you need to understand, is Jewish custom, not, not law. There was no law that said that the child had to be named after the father or after a family member in the father's family, you know. This was Jewish custom, and it was a custom that had grown to be one of great importance. We're going to name the firstborn son after someone in the father's family, the father's lineage. And not only was this just a custom, but it, it was one that would have been expected here. Notice the people are pushing this on Elizabeth. Where the Greek actually shows us it's kind of an intense. It's, it's kind of intense. You're going to name this child Zachariah, right? No, I'm not. What you really need to name? Are you sure you don't want to name this after your own husband? They're, they're they're pushing on her, but Elizabeth pushes back. She will not deny the command of God for a custom or tradition. Now there is a sermon there that you and I need to be very careful that we ourselves are not a people who are more faithful to the customs and traditions of the church or faithful to our own, our own customs and traditions as Americans than we are the command of God. 
And we're seeing this very much right now displayed amongst us as we see, even within the Supreme Court justice thing, this nominee of what is a woman. I'm not a biologist. I don't know. And as though, though, you know, this issue of, of saying, well, custom, we shouldn't really push back on this because of faith and those types of things. No, brothers and sisters, there comes a point where we say that God is God and we need to be faithful to his commands. It seems that many of us have become a people who have put the custom over the commands of God. But even though Elizabeth pushes back here, she's not the only one that pushes back. Zechariah even says, they look to him and they go, what are you going to name this? You're, this? This woman of yours is getting out of line. And he says his name is John. Not will be John. It is John. In other words, God has decided the name of this child. Brothers and sisters, why is this so important? Is it because that God likes the name John? No, it's the meaning of the name. You see, the name John means... Jehovah is gracious, or the Lord has shown grace or given grace. You see, where we looked at just a moment ago, the issue of mercy, the kindness of God shown to those in misery. You see, mercy is the solution to our misery that comes about from our sin. Grace is God's solution to the sin. Mercy is the solution to the, to the consequence and the, and the pain of sin. But grace is the solution to man's sin. It covers the sin while mercy removes the pain. And John's life and ministry will be an example of the grace of God. How? Well, first we know that John is a man who will preach repentance of sin. You're going to see this in Luke chapter 3. We're going to see where John is going to confront sin. Matter of fact, it is John's boldness and John's great desire to confront sin that gets John into trouble. John will confront sin. He will call sinners to repentance. He's going to call out sin. He's going to name it. And he's going to tell the people that they need to turn from it. Repent of it. And you see, when you look at this in our world, we've seen where we, we look at this, that's just mean and that's uncaring, that's not gracious. Brothers and sisters, it is the very, it is the very definition, it is the very picture of grace. For the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that if you would recognize your sin and you would turn from that sin, You would confess that sin and and begin to fight against that sin. That God will be gracious to forgive you of that sin. Brothers and sisters, the preaching of sin, the preaching of repentance is a picture of God's grace. It is the very act of God's grace upon us. And this becomes the very ministry of John the Baptist. But secondly, I would even tell you this, that John testified to the source of God's grace and salvation. It's one thing for John to say that sin is wrong and you need to stop doing it. But John knew there had to be a source. There had, there had to be a sacrifice that would deal with our sins. And so we see in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. 
John the Baptist would point to the very source of our grace, the very source of our salvation. He would point to Jesus Christ who would lay down His life for us. Dear friends, let me tell you how gracious our God is. He is far more gracious than a God who looks upon an elderly barren couple and just gives them a child. He is far more gracious than that. He is far more gracious than He removes us from, uh, removes from us our sickness or from our misery. He removes the very thing that brings about our sickness. He removes the very thing that brings about our brokenness and our barrenness in life. God Himself who created the world, who created you to worship and to love Him. But you and I did not. Adam did not. And we sinned against God. And we brought misery to this world. And we bring misery to our life. And we are, and we are a people who are under the judgment of God. But God in His grace. God who is gracious sends His Son. Who would live the perfect life, never sinning, but die for the sinner. And remove from that sinner His misery. And then, even more grace on top of grace, give that sinner righteousness. That he does not deserve. Brothers and sisters. John's name. Was a proclamation of the gospel. Let's name him something else. No. Why? Because John will proclaim to the world. That there is one way and one way only. That we will experience the wonderful. All amazing grace of God. Through Jesus Christ. And John points to him. John knew well the grace of God. John knew well that Jesus is the full manifestation of the grace. And so what did John do? He called sinners to repent and to experience this grace. Brothers and sisters, I call you to do the same. There are those of you in here. You are living in your sin. No one knows about it but you and God and, you're, and you think it's okay, but you are living in sin. And you expect that God's hand of grace is going to be upon you, but I'm going to show you in a minute. There's also another hand. But here this morning, I pray that if, you, if your sin is the sin of, of lying, that you would come and be forgiven. If, you're the, if your sin is the sin of lust and adultery, you would come and be forgiven. If your sin this morning that you are struggling with is a sin of a broken, is a broken marriage, maybe you're not leading well in your men in your, in your marriage and in your home, come and know there's grace for you. Some of you, it, it may be that you deal with anger. You're an angry, resentful, bitter person. And you say, what hope, kids? This is who I am. I will always be this way. Brothers and sisters here, our God is gracious. He forgives your sin. Maybe this morning you're just an unbeliever. You're living in your unbelief. Our God is gracious to forgive you of your unbelief. Our God is gracious to remove from you the punishment that you deserve and give you faith and belief. Come to Him this morning and call out to the God who is gracious. But let me also say this, FBC, is that we are a people as a church, who need to reach our Jerusalem. And it's not going to happen through any techniques or any other kind of pragmatic ways other than the preaching of the gospel. 
John is a picture of God's grace, but in that he gives them the gospel. He calls out sin and calls people to repentance. And so if we, we as a church need to start reaching our Jerusalem with the gospel of Jesus Christ, start telling them of their need for Christ and stop being a people who want to sugarcoat everything and overlook everything and thinking that the first thing they need to do is just attend church and then the next thing they need to do is join the choir and the next thing they need to do is be in Sunday school and the next thing they need to do is this. Then we'll get to your sin. No, brothers and sisters, it starts with sin. This is how we reach our Jerusalem. We preach the forgiveness of sin through the repentance of sin that comes through Christ and Christ alone. And as we close, I need to share one last thing with you. I want you to look again at that very last verse at what they say in verse 66. All who heard them kept them in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? And then notice the explanation that is given. Why all of this is going on. All these reactions of the people. It says, for the hand of the Lord was certainly with them. Friends, this is the good hand of God. It is not the bad hand of God. You need to know that the good hand of God displays His faithfulness. And the bad hand of God displays His mercy. It displays His grace and His power and His sovereignty. But the bad hand of God displays his judgment and his wrath and his anger. In Judges chapter 2, verse 15, we read, Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord has spoken and as the Lord has sworn to them. So they were severely distressed. Brothers and sisters, you do not want that hand against you. And I'm afraid that there are those of us here this morning who have refused to repent of our sins. And we're expecting the good hand of God just because we go to church or just because we've made a profession at some point in our life. But there are those who are living in sin. You continue in your sin. And you think God will not notice and He will not care. And you think it will be the good hand of God that is upon you. I'm here to tell you there is another hand. You continue to to refuse to live faithfully according to God's command. You will experience the punishment that Zechariah experienced at the beginning. You continue to rebel against God's created order and to lead others to rebel. You continue to join in the woke movement. You continue to join in these new political progressive redefinitions of God's world. God's hand will be against you and it will be against the nation. Brothers and sisters, God's hand is against our nation as it practices abortion, but it will be against all of those who also support the practice of abortion. God's hand will be against all who refuse to believe and to submit to Him. That goes for you and I as well. So, beloved, I want you to know that this morning it is important that you examine your life this morning God is faithful. God is merciful. God is gracious. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can be saved. Your misery can be lifted. But if you choose to live in your sin and rebel against our Lord, I'm afraid, I'm afraid you will know the other hand of God. The hand of justice and judgment. So I call you this morning, do not test God. I call you this morning to to embrace the good hand of God. Repent and come and experience the faithfulness and the mercy and the grace of our Lord. The hand of God's forgiveness, brothers and sisters, is here. 
for us. It is here for you. Come and deal with your sin and he will be gracious to you. Let's pray.